Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm here with George Mays, and it is Free for All Friday time as we continue our series on eschatology, or the study and doctrine of the end times and last things. Morning, George. Good morning. You will be representing the amillennial position today. Mm-hmm. So the whole community's counting on you. Yeah, right. <laughs> Don't let them down. Yeah. <clears throat> now, this is good. I, I've enjoyed this. Some people have asked, or uh, like, you know, there's not a lot of not a lot of pushback, maybe, and that's not really the point of of what we're doing in this series. This isn't a debate, right, on various eschatologies. Mm-hmm. So, Tim, um, our friend Tim came in, and he, yeah, I thought he gave a good presentation of what he believes. Yeah, uh, yeah, I I heard a lot of positive feedback uh, from people saying. I don't agree with him, but he did a great job of yeah. of uh, representing the the position. Yeah, he he did a really good job of of just kind of laying it out and showing how it's a whole Bible reading. Mm-hmm. Didn't didn't just um, didn't just look at one or two passages. He he's yeah. I, I appreciate him saying <clears throat> that this is how I read the Bible. Yeah, he he uh, he did he did a great job. I thought, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, our, our, it's not our intention to. Kind of like <clears throat> throw gotcha verses out or mm-hmm. try to debate or push back. We're trying to just inform people because this is one issue I think where people need to stop being so vitriolic with each other over is you know people are ready to anathematize <laughs> right. each other nearly mm-hmm. uh, or disfellowship with each other or throw bombs like uh, this is my personal pet peeve whenever I see this one when you drop the word faithful in front of Christian. Mm-hmm. You're making the Martin L- Luther that's been uh, passed down genetically to me start to boil. <laughs> faithful, when you had faithful Christian, that's like in yeah. my mind adding to the gospel, mm-hmm. and this is not that. So, yeah. though eschatology is important, though. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. We we can't we can't ignore it and say well because there's all these different positions, it's not important. We should constantly be going back to the text and trying yeah. to um, get at what what is actually being communicated. And it's helpful to, to dialogue with people that we don't always agree with. And mm-hmm. even as we were talking with Tim last week, um, I disagree with his position, but I saw a lot of commonalities. Um, even, right. though, even though he's looking, his lens are these dispensations, a lot of it is just looking at it covenantally. And yeah, so we'll we'll see. So there's a little bit of overlap. There's a little bit of of disagreement. So mm-hmm. I, I'll I'll try to lay out a little bit of covenant theology just to yeah. show that this is another way of reading the Bible. Right. But um, there there are some places in which they overlap. Yeah. So I I liked I I think again we we need to try to push back against this kind of culture uh, where Christians are putting that label faithful Christian. You need to be very careful of that. It's super arrogant. Like I know there are young men who would throw that on him because he's a dispensationalist, right? Mm-hmm. Some twenty-year-old who <laughs> right. uh, has who's never literally done never done anything in his life except for read stuff and write blogs. Uh, meanwhile, Tim's gone to two different wars. Was a marine, then he was in the army. He literally knows uh, what real evil is in the world. Mm-hmm. And he's been a faithful Christian his whole life. 
but you're going to try to drop that bomb mm-hmm. that you're not a faithful Christian, like if you hold to this other view, this other eschatology. I mean, this is the type of thing that we really need to try to push back against. And that's why in the first uh, the first um, episode we did on eschatology, we're trying to show like here's the here are the boundaries, here are the things that we all have to agree on in order to be orthodox. And then within it, um, we have disagreements, and we need to learn how to disagree with each other without becoming disagreeable. Mm. And it's hard. Yeah, <laughs> it can be really hard, especially nowadays when uh, you know you got keyboard warriors. Um, you know, jump on social media and and just start blasting away. Right. With no. Um, no thought for the mm. repercussions. Yeah, that's true. Um, but in our ch- in our churches, we can't we can't let these secondary issues divide us. Mm-hmm. Um, we can disagree, and we can tell each other we disagree, <laughs> but we uh, we can still fellowship with one another. That's true. That, right. That's right. So we're we gonna jump right into this, or or you have something crazy for me? <sighs> no. I've got two crazy things for you, though, Jay. I've got a video, and I've got an article I, I ran across. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, it is free-for-all Friday, yeah. so uh, I'm okay with that, yeah. if you want to drop that on me. Well, I'll do, the, I'll do the article first. I came across this. This is from People Magazine, that reputable that reputable uh, journalistic source. Reputable. Mm-hmm. But I, found, I saw this article, this uh, headline, and I thought, you know who would appreciate this? Jay Jens. <laughs> I'll look at this. <laughs> Look at this headline. We can throw it up on the on the screen. Seventy seven year old woman finally gets dream wedding when she marries herself. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my! So you know what? This generation, her generation, they don't have dumb ideas like that. You know that? Yeah. They, they just don't. Um, so whoever's over there, not in picture, mm-hmm. her uh, offspring probably, yeah, uh, or her other relatives. The young kids, they gave her that dumb idea. So she's from Ohio. I was not expecting that when, <laughs> you know I, read, I, mean? when I read the article. I thought, this has got to be California. <laughs> but she's from Ohio. Well, um, why would you ever think that, George? Well, <laughs> hmm? uh, marrying yourself just seems like... Don't you like, know Rick Warren's in California? Like... <laughs> Rick Warren, the great. Did you ever find that tweet that you were telling the one, me about? The founder of Spurgeon's College. Yeah. <laughs> Did you find that tweet you were telling me about last night? Uh, I, I can find it. Do you want me to find it? I, I was interested in in seeing him actually, no, actually say that he legit he's tweeted the same it out. Stuff as, as yeah, Spurgeon. he did. He said he has the same view of women in ministry as Charles Spurgeon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, he's he's also the writer of Hebrews, mm-hmm. and you know he probably he probably you know we don't go back this far, but you know he probably helped build the pyramids, and there's mm-hmm. all kinds of things he did, right? <laughs> uh, so this lady, she uh, she was married briefly uh, in 1965. She divorced after nine years, and uh, she said, "Here, <laughs> um, I have been with myself for 40 years." Um, and she said she wanted to do something special for herself. Is she divorced or she's divorced? Yeah, okay. mm-hmm. yeah, she's been divorced since uh, <clears throat> what 1974, right? Somewhere around there. Um, so. Uh, after spending much of her life taking care of her children and grandchildren, Fidelia is excited that life is about me now. It's her grandkids. It's my turn to they do did. what I want to do. They did it. 
It's the grandkids, I, I guarantee yeah. you. Uh, her daughter had purple hair. Helped her find a dress, cook food for the event, and even decorated the retirement home's community room with a balloon arch and other items. I told my daughter, this is the best thing that I've ever had outside of having you kids. This is what I've always wanted, and I'm Bro. so happy that you gave it to me. This is crazy. <clears throat> Maybe. Oh, man. Yeah. So there you go. It's the mind virus. Yeah. It's the woke mind virus. It mm-hmm. infiltrated her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she decided... I've spent all this time taking care of you kids. Now it's time, it's time to do for me. For me, I'm gonna marry myself. Yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm gonna make myself so. Happy. Not. I'm gonna go on cruise around the world. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna marry myself. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I've been. I've you got been, anything uh, weird like that cooking up for us, Dad? Any surprises? My dad's. <laughs> my dad's changing the camera back and forth. You got anything? Got anything strange like that cooked up? No. And you become a tap dancer all of a sudden, fulfill some dream you never told us about. Huh? You got some secret secret thing that, because you know you had to take care of us, so you had to now it's give, me t- you had to now give up on dreams. It's yeah. me time. Give up on your dreams, provide for your children. Hey, you know my dad grew up. He grew up with one pair of jeans mm-hmm. and shoes a year. Huh, Dad? That's right. That's pretty wild. Yeah, and it's just because he was white that I actually have the things I have. Yeah. <laughs> so magically, we went from one pair of shoes and jeans to me having multiple pair of shoes, and it was simply because I, he was—he's white, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that that's, that's what they teach in the universities. Right. Or maybe it was because the military. This is a little secret gem. Mm. I'm selling. You know, I sell cream sodas on here. Maybe I sell military too. <laughs> Anybody yeah. can go into the military, mm-hmm. and they can immediately jump to another social class doesn't matter how poor they are they can jump into even upper middle class mm. in one generation from yeah. joining the military black or white mm. or whatever yeah. you agree with that I agree. I, that's true that's true even a private even a private that microphone over there <clears throat> we need we need a mic on him we could tell crazy <clears throat> stories about privates and the Insane things they do. Yeah. Huh? When you see E4s oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad said when you see E4s driving BMWs, you know, something going on. Yeah. Drop that whole check on that car. <laughs> mm. Riding in style. All right. Well, I've, got, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a video that I've been, I've been telling you I need to show you and I just keep holding on to it. I okay. Can hold, I can hold on to it. It must be really no, good. I can hold on to it. No longer because you keep talking about AI. Oh, you got a good AI. You keep talking video? about AI. You keep talking about what what uh, AI is going to eventually do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's there's been a lot of talk about it's going to create an Ultron body for Satan. That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> you know, it. yeah. I mean, this is the eschatology one, right? Okay. Can we, go, can we just go crazy for a while? Hmm? Uh, um. <laughs> You know, there's a there's a lot of talk about how AI is um, it's intruding in the realm of art, and so a lot of yeah. artists are upset with the way that AI is being used because you can you can uh. tell, you can tell AI to create this this painting, you can give it its you know um, what you want in it, uh-huh. and it will make something. Okay, and a lot of it looks pretty good. Um, so I, I came <laughs> I came across this. 
This is an AI-generated beer commercial. <laughs> All right, I can't wait. And can't wait for this. I want you to see if uh, I want you to see if this is where you you see AI going <laughs> going for us. This is this is uh, an AI-generated beer commercial. So let's uh, let's put it on here. All right. So we've got our. Uh, you can already whoa <laughs> you can already tell that there's something's not right yeah they <laughs> there need, are many things that are out of place here <laughs> yeah he their faces are off and this guy this this guy over here on the left side is uh that doesn't look like a beer to me he's got malt liquor right there <laughs> that's what he's got <laughs> you got the beer in the uh like the pepsi pepsi <laughs> bottle yeah. all right so here we go this is an ai generated beer commercial just for you jay uh-huh <laughs> oh my goodness it's so creepy are you sure it's not pepsi <laughs> he licked he licked it <laughs> oh my goodness Oh, that's the funniest thing I've seen in a while. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. It gets weirder each time I watch it. You need to go watch. If, you, if, you own, if you're listening to the podcast, you're going to have, when you get somewhere and you're stopped, you're going to have to pull this up and watch that. That's good. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, man. Is that where you see AI taking us in the next decade? Jay? Wow. <clears throat> That's too good. Well, are you ready to jump in or, sure. or what? Yeah. Okay. I'm ready. Well, so today we're we're looking at what is called amillennialism, and this is um, your uh, your belief. So we did dispensationalism last time, and now we're going to do amillennialism, which does fall into. Uh, some people, you know, there are those, like I said, who want to throw everybody out, but <clears throat> all millennialism has been around a lot longer even than dispensationalism. Well, I brought, uh, I brought in this book because um, people may not may not know this. Have you have you read this? Uh-uh. Um, this is a book by Charles Hill. Um, I'm probably going to butcher the name of it. Regnum Kellerum. Um, it's patterns of millennial thought in early Christianity, and uh, it's maybe a little bit more scholarly than you know mm-hmm. people may want to tackle. But he walks through the uh, the early church and he shows how historic premill and amillennialism were developing right. side by side, um, and so he goes back to a lot of original sources and shows <clears throat> like the it, it was called Chile, Chileanism. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That's the the Greek word for millennia, or uh-huh. thousand, thousand. Uh-huh. Uh, and he he just kind of walks through some of the uh, that's interesting. Some of the early I'd like, guys, I'd like and to read then, that maybe, and then the non yeah. non millennial, yeah, guys. So so it's uh it it's been around for right as, and as I, long as the church has. I been bring around. that up because this is going to be new for a lot of people mm-hmm. that are listening. They will have never heard about this at all. Um, yeah, these two these two streams were were around from pretty much the very beginning. Yeah, I think Origin maybe is the most popular early one for Amel, and then 
definitely popularized by Augustine. Yeah, um, I mean, he goes back to he goes back to like Clement of Rome and and some of these guys. Uh-huh. Uh, he he's got some stuff from Ignatius and Polycarp that maybe at least show that that this was around. Okay, <clears> that <throat> this was there was. Uh, I mean, they 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 were already debating this in the like the second century. That yeah. they already were talking about people that held to an earthly millennial reign and people who didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, now they were probably more on the vitriolic <laughs> side, unfortunately. <laughs> then we're trying to uh, they were trying to be after two thousand years, but uh, it it does show it does show that that it, they both have developed. Yeah, so um, I mean, this is this so is this isn't something new. It's not yeah. something that is, um, uh, you know, novel. Uh-huh. Um, that this is stuff that the early church fathers were talking about. Okay, I got a I got a series of questions. I think I try to. I think they're pretty good questions. We'll see. That'll kind of <laughs> shape this okay. this interview. Okay. Um, but if you are listening, you're going to be presented with this, and then you know mine will be next week. And as Georgia said, they've this has been debated for two thousand years nearly. So you're probably not going to get every answer that you want, right? Um, and well, you wh- may even change your position several times in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's just start with the obvious question: What is amillennialism? Well, it's a bad name <laughs> for one thing. Okay. It's a bad name. I mean, it, it literally means no millennium. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people when they when they hear amillennialism, that's what they immediately think. Mm-hmm. They think, oh, you guys, you guys just ignore Revelation chapter twenty altogether. You you just don't you don't deal with it. You don't treat it seriously. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I I would love to come up with a different name, but it's been around for a long longer than me, and uh, it's probably going to be around a lot longer after I'm gone. Yeah. Um, it. Um, what would be a better name? Realized millennialism. <sighs> <clears throat> maybe, maybe current current present current, present millennial present millennialism i don't mm-hmm. know i mean nothing's going to catch on right it's it's too deeply ingrained mm-hmm. um in uh writings writings and people's thoughts mm-hmm. um but i, I, I How about think, I, loser eschatology <laughs> huh isn't that every yeah. isn't that every eschatology uh, yeah. apart from uh, I, that, that post? I'm being facetious. Obviously, yeah. this is a this is the, bond, the the label people are throwing around currently right now on Twitter. So, um, so amillennialism it, it's probably helpful to to maybe say what it's not and then say what it is because there's a lot of of caricatures about what it is. Um, like we ignore the the pertinent text. We spiritualize everything. Um, yeah, we we'll talk about that, but just say like. Okay, if we had we had uh, premillennialism last mm-hmm. night, well, version dispensational pre premillennialism. So how's that? What are what is amillennialism compared to that? Amillennialism teaches that we are currently in um, what the Bible teaches as the thousand years mm-hmm. um, reign of Christ. The thousand years is the church age. Okay, um, it it consists of the time period between the first and second coming of Christ. All right. Um, and then, uh, so the world is going to continue much like it has always continued mm-hmm. um, until right before the end when uh, there will be a, a man of lawlessness. There will be, I mean, if you want to call it great tribulation, you can call it great tribulation. Um, and then Christ will come 
and that's the end. Okay. Uh, he brings with him judgment and salvation. Okay. And the new heavens and new earth. So last time Tim kind of described how there are these there's these kind of periods, this seven year period, the church is raptured out of here, mm-hmm. and then kind of God's plan continues with Israel, and then there is this great war at the end, and Christ returns in dramatic fashion, smashes his enemies. Mm-hmm. The dead in Christ are raised at that time. <clears throat> Uh, those that are here, we're mid in the air, peop- and then the church returns to the earth, mm-hmm. and then the millennial reign begins. Right. Satan is then bound and thrown into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Millennial reign starts for a thousand years. Right. So yours doesn't have that stuff, right? right? It's one of the one of the things that I find so appealing about all millennialism is how simple it is. Okay, um, it, it's really easy to grasp. Um, I don't need. I've got a chart, but I don't have, uh, you know, I don't have, I mean, if you've ever seen like a dispensational chart, there's right. a bunch of stuff. This is pretty simple. Um, I've got it if you want to pull it I'll up on the it. screen. Um, one of the, uh, one of the um, things that all millennialists are committed to is the two-age model. Mm-hmm. So there's this age and there's the age to come. Okay. And um, then was, and, there, was there a third <clears throat> age prior, the Jewish age? Um, well, and then, then it ended uh, well, at the uh, destruction even, of the temple? Even, even in all millennialism, there's some different, different. there's some different okay. positions. So you can be a uh, you can be a partial preterist. Uh. Um, so they would see much of Revelation as dealing with things um, uh, regarding 70 A.D. Mm. and the destruction of the temple by the Romans. So they might they might talk a little bit about like the Jewish age and mm-hmm. and uh, the Church age. Um, I just like to keep it simple. This age the is age the present evil age. Okay, um, that's Paul's language. Uh, Jesus talks about this age and the age to come when mm-hmm. he talks about things like the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, will there be marriage in heaven? Right. Um, the sons of this age, right, uh, marry and are given in marriage, but in the age to come, they yeah. won't. Um, so there's there's this age. It's the fallen creation. Um, and then the age to come is the new heavens and new earth. And right now we're in an overlap. Mm. Um, and so we're, we're in the, we're in this, this overlap of the ages as the church age. And so, so you, can, you can see it here. So Christ's death uh-huh. and resurrection, they mark the, the beginning of the overlap. And now we have new creation in a kind of a, a a beginning phase. So Christ is the firstborn of new mm. creation. All who are in Christ are a new creation. New, crea- new creation. Yeah. Um, but we are waiting for the age to come, which arrives uh. when Christ returns and He brings with Him uh, final judgment, final, um, final salvation, and He He consummates the age to come with the new heavens and new earth. So the overlap of the two ages there on the on the screen that. You could also put in the word uh, the millennium. Millennium. Um, okay. Yeah, thousand years. All right. Yeah. And which obviously which, not... we would, which we would say is symbolic. Okay. It's not. It's not a literal thousand years. And I know that's not. That's not um, just an, an all millennial position. I know that there are some historic premill mm-hmm. guys that hold to that also. Right. A thousand just means a, a really long time. Or, or an indefinite time or, period, uh, like uh, <clears throat> that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Right. Yeah. Does he just own the cattle? Right. The cattle on a thousand hills? No. That's that's a stand-in for he owns everything. Everything. Right. Um, 
a, a day, a day for the Lord is like a thousand years. Uh-huh. Is Peter giving us a mathematical equation? Right. That's what, a, that's what, that's what some people in church history have done. One out of a thousand and ten. Yeah, right. That, yeah. That, I mean, there are some, some people in church history that have tried to do that. And they say, well, um, seven days of creation, 7,000 years for, for human history. How about what the outcome if they did that? Why would there not be a seven thousand year tribulation? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it, it's symbolic. Right. Uh, I, I think I think it's it's pretty clear. No matter what your es- eschatological position, I, I think that we at least need to wrestle with the fact that the Book of Revelation is filled with um, symbols, mm-hmm. and not everything is supposed to be taken literally. So it, it it's meant to. It's meant to communicate something. We just need to figure out what does it mean to communicate. Okay. We'll come back to, I think, to some of that interpretive thing. So you wouldn't say, so an example for people that if they're just trying to wrap their mind around it, there's the 44,000, right? 144,000. 144,000. Yeah. And there are many dispensationalists who would take that literally. Mm-hmm. There right. will be 144,000 right. Jews at Jews. the end of time. Uh-huh. Right. What do you think that stands for, that number? Um, I think that it's symbolic of the uh, the church, the church on earth. The, Cons- the church militant is is the kind of the the, the traditional theological yeah. phrase, the, the church militant. And the, the reason why I would say that is is one composed um, of Jews and Gentiles. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there is uh, the the symbolic numbers. So it's twelve times twelve times a thousand. Uh huh. Um, and then there's also the scheme throughout the book of Revelation where John hears something and then he turns around and sees something. Uh-huh. So he hears a voice, he turns around and he sees Christ. Uh-huh. Um, he, he's standing in the, the throne room of heaven and he hears about this line of the tribe of Judah who has overcome. He turns around and he sees a lamb that's been slain. Sa- same person, uh-huh. but different angles. Uh, and then when you get to Revelation chapter 7, he hears the number of the redeemed and then he turns around and he sees a great multitude. Yeah, um, I think it's the same. I think it's the same. The same people, just a different angle. The one hundred forty-four thousand that are numbered are the church on earth. Uh-huh. Um, and this again, we have to remember: Revelation is written to these churches that are suffering persecution. The fact that they're all numbered should be an encouragement. Should be a comfort. And then he turns around and he sees the church triumphant the church that's gone through this great tribulation that also consists of the church age. Mm. John says he's, uh, he's a, a, a partner in tribulation with the church in the first century. So he's not looking to tribulation thousands of years in the right. future. He's saying, we're in it right now. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a partner with you in it. Um, but the church goes through it, and they're triumphant, and yeah. he sees this great multitude that no one can number from every tribe and language and nation and tongue. Okay, so that kind of gives us a glimpse into some of the interpretive methods you're <laughs> using. Um, so the millennium, we're in it now. When Christ returns, he defeats all of his enemies. Uh, the dead in Christ are raised. They're, uh, the... Uh, Antichrist and the beast and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. Mm. The judgment occurs. Mm-hmm. Sinners are thrown into the lake of fire, the everlasting hell. And then new heavens and the new earth commence then, and mm-hmm. we go into the eternal state. Yeah. yeah. So how did you come to this position? Because, like most people your age, you probably didn't grow up this. No, I grew up dispensational. 
And when I say dispensational, I don't mean Tim's dispensational. I mean like Tim LaHaye <laughs> dispensationalism. Okay. Um, I mean, I was I was fully bought into all of it. Secret rapture. I was pre-trib. Mm. Um, Seven-year tribulation. Antichrist uh, is literally killed and raised from the dead and, and uh, 144,000, um, all of it. Read the Left Behind books, and that was pretty much... That was pretty much me. Okay. Uh, I read I read the Hal Lindsey books, Late Great Planet Earth. I remember, I remember being in high school, uh, eating breakfast before going to school, and and having Late Great Planet Earth <laughs> there with me at the at the breakfast table, uh, reading this stuff and reading reading about Apache helicopters. I remember reading about that. Hmm. Um, so I yeah I was uh, I was really I, I was all in, um, and then. Um, Got married. Uh, I don't know, a few years in, Julia was, uh, she asked me to teach her the book of Revelation. All right, I can do that. I've, I've taught it to youth before. I, I've taught it at the, I was a youth minister. I taught it to the, the teenagers um, in the youth group. So we sit down and we start walking through it. And um, she starts asking me, where's that? <laughs> where's that? Where's that in the text? Um, you know, we're, we're walking through, I think we got, to, I think we got to chapter nine and I think I did draw an Apache helicopter for her. <laughs> I was like, could it be this? <laughs> <laughs> um, not my, uh, not my best, my best moment in biblical interpretation. Um, it, she just started challenging me to, um, to not just go with what, what I traditionally had been taught. And not just go with the majority position that just everyone is holding to. Um, she she wanted me to actually look at the text. Mm-hmm. About the same time, I started listening to um, R.C. Sproul. Started listening to uh, Hank Hennegraaff before he really went uh, crazy and became Eastern Orthodox. Um, and they they started challenging me. This this all kind of collided uh, my coming to reform theology and and. Uh, uh, expository preaching and eschatology all just kind of collided um, at the same time. And so my whole world was just being rocked. Like, I don't even know if I was a Christian all this time because <laughs> I don't even know how to read my Bible. It's, it's like Romans 9, where did that come from? And, and things like that. Are you at college at this point? Or no, this seminary? is after. This is a, no, this isn't seminary. This is after we've graduated. I'm working at uh, metal fabrication. Um, I'm welding. Uh-huh. And listening to um, Christian talk radio while I'm while I'm welding, uh. so I'm listening. I'm listening to guys like John MacArthur, and he's just blowing my mind with his just expository verse by verse teaching of the scripture. Um, R.C. Sproul is really giving me deep theology that comes out of exegesis. And then Hank Kennegraff, he was the Bible answer man, and so you'd get people calling in, and a lot of the questions were eschatology, and so uh. he'd. he'd challenge challenge the the dispensational um position was so as i'm listening is he on or i know he's partial preterist for sure he's partial preterist but i think that his i don't i don't i mean i think that if it if he had to be labeled he probably would be all millennial but he doesn't like the labels mm. um so he's his position i i, I think it's i think it's good I, th- I think he's getting at something um, it's the thousand years of of uh, the saints reigning 
is juxtaposed with the beginning of the book where Jesus tells one of the churches, I can't remember which one, you'll be tested for 10 days. So they're going to be tested for 10 days, which I don't think that's a literal 10 days either. I think that goes back to Daniel and his friends in Daniel chapter one. They're, they're, they're tested for 10 days. Um, and then you'll be tested for 10 days, but you're going to reign for a thousand years. And so I think he's setting up this, this, um, this encouragement, this comfort and hope that you may be tested, you may be tried and persecuted and maybe even put to death for a short amount of time, but you're going to reign with Christ for a, a long time, forever. Um, anyway, um, started listening to those. Uh, Red uh, R.C. Sproul's The Last Days According to Jesus, um, which R.C. Sproul's was post-mill, mm -hmm. at least in that book. I, don't, I heard rumors that he, he changed his position, but I never saw anything. Did you ever see any evidence that he changed his position? No. Um, it's a good book uh, from a partial preterist um, view. And um, so I, I just started exploring the different positions. And I, I, I think I pretty much walked through all of them. I think I've held every position for at least five minutes of my life. <laughs> uh, dispensationalism. Um, I read a book on the, the case for historic premillennialism. Um, I became a, uh, post-millennial guy for about five minutes. Um, then I, uh, was partial preterist, all mill, and then I've moved into what, uh, GK Bill describes as more of like an eclectic approach. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of just right. pulled from all the different <clears throat> positions, but all mill in my interpretation of Revelation 20. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there, there, that's, and that took, that took years right years maybe a decade for me to um to actually settle and say this is what i see the text saying um this is this is what i'm going to hold to okay now so here's a question that i asked him i'll ask you um is your position a eschatology or a hermeneutic i know the answer i'm just asking for everybody and coupled with that what is your hermeneutic and how is it different than dispensationalism? Mm. That's a big question. <laughs> big question. Mm -hmm. um, it's a hermeneutic. Mm -hmm. um, so I would hold more closely to Baptist covenant theology. So we're we're talking not just eschatology, which I would I would agree with. Um, I can't remember who said it that. All, all the Bible is eschatological. Mm -hmm. It's probably G.K. Bill. That sounds like something that G.K. Bill would uh, would say. That all the Bible is eschatological from the very beginning. It's looking to the end. Um, that's why you've got bookends uh -huh. that are, are gardens, right? Um, because the beginning is anticipating the end. Um, the first Adam is anticipating the the last Adam, and you just walk your way through. Uh, but I, I would hold to uh, I'd hold the Baptist covenant theology, maybe a little bit more on the progressive covenantal side mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to um, the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. uh, so I wouldn't be strict 1689. I'd be a little bit in the middle. Right. Um, but uh, so as dispensational, so there's a spectrum. I've been teaching a class on biblical theology, so yeah. this is all this is all just fresh on my mind. Uh -huh. um, there's a spectrum. A biblical hermeneutic. There's dispensationalism would be on one side, and covenant theology would be on the other side. Mm -hmm. And so, as dispensationalists are reading the Bible according to these dispensations, 
covenant theology follows ah. the covenants, right? <laughs> um, they, they follow the covenants. And so um, there's six major covenants, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Mosaic, David, New Covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, and even within that, there's distinction because there's Presbyterian covenant theology and there's, there's Baptist covenant theology. Um, obviously, Baptist covenant theology. Right. Um, and so you're following the the re, the redemptive historical storyline along the covenants, right. which I always describe as the backbone of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you don't understand these six major covenants, you're going to get off. Um, you're going to get so off in a bad interpretation somewhere. You, you follow the covenants, yeah. and there's a real uh, heavy emphasis on um, progressive revelation. Uh-huh. Tim said that right. Um, I, I would agree with that, but it's along the lines of the covenants, not um, particular dispensations. So, right. I, so I wouldn't, you know, he he had the the dispensation of conscience between mm. Adam and Noah. Right. I, I would just say that that's the time period between the broken Adamic covenant and the Noahic covenant. Right. Um, it's the fallen world after Adam broke the covenant. Um, but we're still following the storyline. And it progresses. We get more and more information about the coming Christ. Um, in each covenant? In each covenant, there's there's a little bit more that's added to it. Um, and um, there's there's emphasis on that progression. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're going from shadows, types, to the reality. Um, and I would say, so there's a big emphasis on typology. So the things in the, in the Old Testament are always pointing to something greater in the new. Mm. They're not. Uh, they're never meant to be an end in themselves, and so that's 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 going to be a big break from like dispensationalism. Is um, the the seed of Abraham, the pro- the land, um, the blessings, the sacrifices, the temple, were always meant to point to something greater. Not it's not just a one to one. There's an escalation right. in typology, and so the the people of God that are are the the Israelites in the old covenant are a, a type. They're a pattern of the people of God under the new covenant that consists of believing Jews and believing Gentiles. The promised land. Um, I mean, we we've, we've been going through Hebrews. I I don't think the author of Hebrews can be any clearer than he was in chapter eleven. That even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob weren't looking for that that piece of land; they were looking for a better country. Mm. They were they were looking for a better home. Um, the sacrifices, same thing. And you would it's, say it's that looking forward to is ultimately fulfilled in the new creation. New creation, yeah. So yeah, glo- that's that's gl- what that's what they were looking to. I, I don't know any other way to interpret Hebrews eleven than to say they were looking for the new heavens and new earth. Mm-hmm. Um, that they, they weren't looking for just the land of Canaan. Uh, Paul even brings this out in Romans chapter four, that the promise was that Abraham and his descendants would inherit the world. Mm-hmm. Um, explicitly? Explicitly, it says the world. <laughs> All right. Um, so there, so that's, that's, um, that's, that's kind of the... So that, that emphasis on progressive revelation, that emphasis on typology, um, it also comes out in... Um, allowing the New Testament to interpret the Old Testament because these are the types and shadows. The com- with the coming of Christ, we have the reality. And so there are things in the Old, the Old Testament that are pointing forward to that, 
but they're written in the language of the Old Covenant. Um, so we have to see how does the New Testament pick up on some of this stuff, and how does the New Testament interpret the Old Testament? And so by letting the New Testament have priority um, and not reading the Old Testament as if the New Testament hasn't come, um, I, that, that really influences my eschatology a lot. Okay. Because the New Testament is just, I mean, there's 313 verses, I think, in the book of Revelation and 250 some odd allusions to the Old Testament. It's just all over the place. How, how is John using that? Mm-hmm. How's he, how is he interpreting mm-hmm. the Old Testament? Paul, Paul does the same thing. Well, I think that's a good place to segue into this next question. It's how do you interpret the book of Revelation? So there are, and es- people, when they're studying eschatology, they have several ways, um, usually. Idealist, there's the idealist view, mm-hmm. um, the historicist view, the preterist view, and the futurist <clears throat> view. Now, people might not even be familiar with those terms at all, so I guess one thing we need to do is maybe try to, I guess, describe those views. Yeah, um, that's pretty easy. The futurist view sees the book of Revelation as primarily in the future, uh-huh. dealing with things in the future, even to us. Right. Uh, the preterist view, um, full preterism or hyper-preterism is out of, it's out of bounds yeah. because they would see all of prophecy as having been fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem in AD mm-hmm. 70. That's out of bounds. Um, they would even say, like, that's, that's the coming of Christ, the new heavens and new earth is the destruction of the temple and the institution of the new covenant in the church age. Um, how are you, how are you liking the new heavens and new earth? Are you, right. are you enjoying it? <laughs> they probably see it <laughs> as yourself. a, uh, it's a progressive, spir- it's spiritually a, it's occurring a, it's, in another realm. It's like a pro- after we it's, die. Well, and it's a progressively improving condition. So mm. uh, a hyper preterist is going to be post mill. Yeah. So they're, they're going to see the, the world increasingly getting better and the church is going to Christianize the whole world and eventually all, all the world will be Christianized. Anyway, that's out of bounds, so we don't have to spend any more time on that. But partial preterism is within the bounds of orthodoxy. Um, R.C. Sproul held to this. Um, and they see, they see a, a good portion of Revelation as dealing with things in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so the book of Revelation is written to seven historical churches, in the first century, Mm -hmm. dealing with real things going on. And so they would say that most of the book is dealing with uh, Roman persecution um, and the destruction of of the temple and Jerusalem in AD 70. And they would take the view of Matthew 24 as that as well. Um, Part of it. And there's, um, there's, I mean, there's even differences in how preterists interpret the book of Revelation some will say the first half of the book is dealing with the fall of, of uh, Jerusalem, and the second half of the book is dealing with the fall of Rome. Some will see all of it. it I mean, there's. I think one of the things that we're doing in this podcast, and we got a comment that was frustrated by that, is we're showing that there's no monolithic position. Right. Even within these major positions, there are other positions. So we need to have a little bit of humility and be like, I could be wrong on this. And some partial <laughs> preterists there are... are there are other positions. Yeah. And they're they're taking the Bible just as seriously. I yeah. mean, we, we need to we need to not and this goes along with that, uh, you know, not not blowing people up. Not um not taking this 
I'm interpreting the Bible 100% correctly. Right. We, we need to at least say, these passages on eschatology are really hard. Mm. And I could be wrong. Right. Right. They yeah. could be Apache helicopters. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, most, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, Sproul's changed his position several times. Yeah. Shriner changed his oh, in goodness. the middle of teaching it yeah. to <laughs> right. his church. My, uh, my, right? si- my systematic theology professor, Stephen Wellam, he said that he was probably um, 51, 50%, 51%, depending on what day. So he might lean slightly a mill one day. He might lean slightly pre mill the next right. day. So um, even these uh, even these professors that like this is what they do is they teach the Bible. They're they're like, well, I see both sides, and so it just depends on what I had for breakfast. Um, that uh, and and even uh, even Schreiner has changed. There's another. There's a new position. Mm-hmm. Isn't he about to release a book on He's it? He's about to release a Revelation commentary with this new. I don't remember what. What does he call it? I don't remember what. The, Let's see if I, I should can not find have brought it. it up because I I can't remember what it, what it's called. Um. Mm. I don't I don't remember, I don't remember. It's got uh, it's got millennium in the, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the label, <laughs> but I don't remember what it's. I don't remember what it's called. Yeah, I don't either. Um. Uh, so p- partial preterists, they'll see um, most of the book as being fulfilled in the past, but they still would see uh, the coming, the physical, you know, the bodily visible return of Christ, the the final judgment of the wicked and the the um, the destruction of the devil and the new heavens and new earth in the future. Um, which those are the those are kind of the boundaries of of orthodoxy. Um, historicist see the book of revelation as um so there's so there's there's, there's going to be some overlap i think with historicism and idealism um because they both see the book of revelation as dealing with the entirety of the church age but the difference with historicism is that they're actually trying to plug in specific events mm-hmm. in the book of Revelation. Right. So, for instance, you've got the um, the locust in Revelation chapter 9. They've got uh, the face of a man. They've got the teeth of a lion. They've got hair like a woman. Um, they're, uh, they're, uh, they sound like horses, multitude of horses. Um, and some historicists, I'm sure, I'm sure that, out of all the positions, this is the one that there's the most internal disagreement. Um, some historicists would say that's um, that is the rise of Islam, mm. and they would say, "Well, it looks like you know, it looks like the Muslim invaders, and they had right. like this long hair, and they were riding on horses, and they were shooting, you know, they were shooting yeah. arrows and all this." Um, there's a lot of subjectivity, right? In that, they have the French Revolution in there somewhere too, and other mm-hmm. things that occurred. Um, a lot of the reformers were historicists. Um, you read Matthew Henry, he's a historicist. Um, they'll put a heavy emphasis on the Pope being yes. the man of lawlessness. Uh-huh. Um, the Roman Catholic Church is the is Mystery Babylon. Um, it's even written into the confessions. The, the confessions. Yeah. It's right. it's uh I think I think the American version of the Westminster changed it some. Uh, but the original Westminster is like the Pope is the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. 
would say he is an, an antichrist. Yeah, they, maybe they could have put an <laughs> yeah. an antichrist. And I think I think that I think that's how they changed it. I I if there's any Presbyterians listening, they can fill us in on that. Um, and then there's idealists. Idealists see the Book of Revelation as um, not about any particular event, but themes. Um, so the ideas of the conflict between God and Satan, um, of uh, the persecution of the church. And so it's it's more, I guess using the label spiritualized would be accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, I follow G.K. Bill. Um, he, he calls it uh, eclectic idealism. Okay. Okay. Um, where explain that where he's he's going to be he's gonna he's gonna look at those themes those ideas but he's also gonna draw from from all the other positions and so I would say that there is a good amount of partial preterist interpretation that would be accurate to the book of Revelation so mm-hmm. um, there's probably a reference to the fall of Jerusalem in uh, Revelation chapter 11 where he's he's uh, commanded to measure the temple, but don't measure the the inner sanctuary. Just measure the outer the outer court because the outer court is going to be trampled by the Gentiles for forty two months. That's the that's the same language that Jesus uses um, in the Olivet Discourse, talking about the destruction of the temple. So could be a reference there. Uh, the beast of uh, chapter thirteen is a conglomerate of the the beast of of Daniel chapter seven. John and his readers, I can't imagine them thinking of anything other than the Roman Empire right. and emperor worship. Mm-hmm. Take a mark, pinch of pinch of incense to Caesar, or we're going to kill you. Like the the readers are not looking for something that's going to happen two thousand years in the future. John is writing for them to persevere in the tribulation they're going through. Right, um, and so I th- I think that that there's some partial preterist. Um, importance there but as an eclectic idealist i would say that it's not just confined to rome it's any world government that does the same thing that the romans were doing so so, are, so there so there are there's not just one beast that's why it's a conglomerate of all these beasts um it's it's all of these godless governments that set themselves up against christ and his church they're they are accurately a beast. They're they're a monster. So so, I would, so I'd say our our government today, as it's promoting all of this these abominable things, and it really is is bent away from Christianity. Um, I would say that our government is a beast. Do you see then it, a some type of unfolding typology that would culminate at the end of time in a final a final beast, powerful yeah. beast? How about a man of lawlessness yeah, as the think, head of this yeah, beast? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, you know, like I said, I, I used to hold to partial preterism, and I really Second Thessalonians two is is uh, that's a difficult chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, even Augustine is like, I confess, I don't know what the apostle is talking about here because he just uses a bunch of pronouns. And he says he's actively being restrained. Yeah, and he and, says but he you will know, appear. And you know what he, you know what I'm talking about, and you know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of difficulty in there. But I think and and so partial predators should be like, well, that's that's Nero or that's right. you know that's Caligula or you know they they'll try it. That's um, what was the name of the the guy that led the rebellion in Jerusalem. Uh, I can't remember his name right now. There was a guy who actually read he. 
he actually led a rebellion in the city and they went in and killed all the priests in in the temple they like took over the temple mount um it it was the 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 three and a half years of the jewish war um in jerusalem from everything i've read from josephus it was hell on earth Mm -hmm. um and so i can see a lot of the partial preterist interpretation of uh of that because it was it was just a cataclysm right um, both inside and from the romans on the outside um but i i I think that the i i I see the fall of jerusalem in typological terms Mm -hmm. like this is this is what happens to this city for rejecting christ I, I think that's what Jesus is setting up in Matthew 23 and 24. Um, what's going to happen to the world? Same thing on a massive scale. Um, Christ is going to judge the world um, just like he judged Jerusalem in AD 70. But I, I see, um, I see a final man of lawlessness. I, I, I just can't, I can't read second Thessalonians two any other way than this is a future, right. a future guy. And, and that chapter actually plays a role in my interpretation of revelation 20. Also, mm. I think that they're, I think they're parallel okay. passages. Um, so there's a final man at the end uh-huh. Yeah, is the activity of Satan in the earth mm-hmm. yeah. culminates in this man. He's empowered supernaturally because, because, and we haven't gotten to it yet. I know we'll get to it. Satan is released. Right. Um, and he's he goes out and he he deceives the nations into this final rebellion. And he's empowered. This, this they, man is doing miracles and, they, and things. Yeah, right? it seems that way. It seems like he's doing signs and wonders to deceive, the, if possible, even the even elect. the elect, right? right? Um, and he's he he sets himself up as God, and he di- he persecutes the the church, and it looks like the church is about to lose. Um, that he's it's world it's world persecution um they're they're trying to stomp out christianity and the church is um like a it's like a a singular city whereas the man of lawlessness and his army is like the sand of the seashore and then right when they think that they they've won christ comes Mm -hmm. and he he slays them all so yeah and it's a it's a final it's a final cataclysm that judges the unbelieving world yeah so do you believe in, uh, like, so essential to the dispensational pre-mill is the rapture, mm. that, the, that the church is raptured out of here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there a rapture in, the, in your position, the all-mill position? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that's, I, I, again, um, the word rapture, it comes from the Latin of caught up mm-hmm. uh, from, uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But the dis- the difference is it's not secret, right? Um, again, if I know there's dispensationalists that are listening and they're just shaking their head and like, oh, George, I wish that you would just do better. Um, I I just can't I can't see a secret rapture in First Thessalonians chapter four. I can't either. Um, I mean, we want to take the Bible seriously, and I would appeal to my dispensational brothers and sisters. You claim to read the Bible literally. Read it literally here. Um, it says that um, uh, the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. Um, that's either a Christian dog whistle that only Christians can hear, 
where Jesus was really bad about coming back secretly. Right. And the third option is this isn't secret. <laughs> He's visible and right. it's loud. There's there's a, a great cry. I think Jesus says in, in John chapter five, he says that a day is coming when all who are in the grave will hear the voice of the son of God and they will come out. I think that's this. I think he's, he's telling the dead, come out, come out of the grave, um, come to resurrection or come to destruction. Um, the, the sound of the, the, this trumpet blast, um, this, this gets into my interpretation of revelation. I think this is the seventh trumpet. It's the final, this is the final trumpet when Christ comes. Uh, but the rapture, it's not secret. Um, it's, it's, uh, but it, it is for Christians. They're caught up. Uh, the dead in Christ rise first, then we who remain will be caught up um, to meet him in the air. Mm-hmm. But the picture is not of, uh, it's not of Christians meeting Christ and then going back up. This is the picture of the triumphal procession. It's the picture of the king coming back to the city, and the citizens go out of the city and meet the king, and then they escort him back into mm-hmm. the city. Um, that, that's the picture that, that Paul is painting of this Roman procession of, yeah. the, of the conquering general who comes back to the city. The people go out, they welcome him back in, and they don't leave. They right. come into the city. They prepared, they prepared themselves to celebrate this triumphal procession. That's the picture. We Christ comes, this triumphant king, his people go out to meet him, and we all come back. So we're him. caught up into the air. We're caught up into the air. We're transformed, glorification, and we come back. And I think we're part of the army that that uh, that slays the wicked. Mm. Um, I think we're part of it. And then Christ comes. There's final judgment. Um, there's finality to it. And then there's a new heavens and new earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's. I think that's what. Um, so there's there's a rapture. There is. So there is a rapture. But it's because it's, that word is in the text. It, I mean, they're caught up. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how you would. Uh, we we meet him in the air. I don't know any other way to to interpret that. Yeah. Um, I mean, we could we could say this is just a metaphor, but I don't know what it's a metaphor for. <laughs> it's it's a metaphor for uh, being translated and being caught up uh, into the air. Paul talks about it in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, but it's not it's not a rapture to take us away. It's a rapture that uh, that we meet Christ and then we come down to the earth. Yeah. So I had, when he comes, he comes back. What was interesting to me about this is uh, I had a New Testament backgrounds class, very in depth on you know the Greek world and the Roman world, mm-hmm. and this language is chosen not only in this place by Paul, but also when he speaks of Christ leading us in triumphal procession, mm-hmm. right? And, and the aroma that is yeah. left, the mm-hmm. smell of uh, how does he word it? Death. There's smell it's, of death to it's some. Death, it's death to those who are perishing. Death to perishing. Yeah. And the pleasing aroma mm-hmm. to those who are being saved. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So in a triumphal procession, here's what would happen. Every Roman knows about this. So Caesar would go to some campaign place, right, where there's a great triumph and victory. Right. And he'll return as a great conquered, conquering military victor. Mm. And in a big triumphal procession would be those that he's conquered. Right. And they reek. They stink, mm-hmm. so that they they're prisoners throw, of war, mm-hmm. yeah. and they throw all these petals out everywhere. Yeah, they 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 kind of prepare the. They city. try to they try they, to mask they, the smell. Per, the, yeah, that they they put all these flowers and they decorate uh-huh. the city. And I mean, if you've seen if you've seen some of these old movies and they're coming in and there's like flower petals right. coming. That's a that's a that's a triumphal procession. Uh-huh. And they had the smell of death because they're marching to their death, right? Uh, because they would be taken to the Colosseum, 
they would be killed, mm. be caused to fight each yeah, other for pu- entertainment. Public execution. Yeah, yeah, public executions, all kinds of stuff. And what's interesting is that I never picked on is that we're the ones that are the captives in that passage, yeah. that Christ has conquered us through mm. the gospel, yeah, he's leading and he's us leading us in triumphal possession. And then he says in this verse here, it's the same thing, picture the same imagery, there's a trumpet blast that mm. the Romans would give, you know, whatever, Caesar's coming, right. and everyone in the city leaves the city. Yeah. And then they, they come back into the city right. with the victor. Yeah. And that's the imagery he's using here. Yeah. And once I realized that, I'm like, that's... <laughs> yeah. This is how they would have read it, mm. the Roman, the Roman, the Greco-Roman world, yeah. to which this was written. They would have understood clearly what was being communicated. Yeah. This is tipping my hat a little bit, I guess, into my next time, yeah. <laughs> because I believe the same thing about the rapture. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, we, we, we have to critique other, other views. Um, because it that, that the the difference is shown in how we critique them um i i just don't see how you get secret invisible rapture well, uh, when when well i think when it, it talks about the coming of christ mm-hmm. it always seems to be visible i think that they we'll build wait, it from other wait, verses though yeah yeah matthew I, I 24 know. maybe yeah the and i mean we well we're not talking about we're not we're not yeah. Just going after secret rapture, but but here, yeah, I, yeah, there. I would say that there's a rapture. It's just not secret. I wanted to ask that because some people would say you don't believe in a rapture, right? But I want to give the opportunity to say that you do. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Very um, good. It, uh, and, uh, I don't use the word rapture very often. Uh-huh. The word I use is resurrection. <laughs> It's resurrection or glorification. Okay, I, either one of those. They're they're interchangeable. We we are glorified when Christ comes. We are resurrected. We are raised with Christ. Mm. Yeah. Good, very good. All right. Um, I think we've touched on this. How how does your view work with Matthew twenty four? I'm going to spend a uh, a lot of time here, but are you partial preterist in that? Interpretation of Matthew twenty four, or where are you um, at there? I, I mean, I think you have to be at least partial preterist with some of it because Jesus is talking about the. Di- I mean, the disciples are asking him about the temple, right? And he says, "Not one stone is going to yeah. be left on another." That's not a future event for us. That that's something that happened two thousand years ago, right? Um, that literally happened. The Romans came in and they destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, and they the they set it on fire, and the gold was melting between the stones, and so yeah. they took the stones off of each other to get at the gold. Um, the, the fleeing, the fleeing to, to the mountains that happened, Mm -hmm. that literally happened. No Christians were killed in the, in that's, that is wild. Read Josephus, read the, read Josephus was a Jewish deserter. He deserted from the army. Um, and he's writing this history. He actually lives through this time period. Um, he witnessed a lot of the stuff. He, he kind of became a, I don't know, kind of a personal assistant to, to uh, Vespasian mm. and later Titus, um, he's—I don't know what exactly he was, what his official position was. Official brown noser, maybe that—that that could be it. They—they uh, they spared him for some reason, but he's writing about this, and he talks about how before before Vespasian and, and Titus came, there was there was another Roman general and his army, and they'd almost broken through the wall, and then for some reason they leave. And 
I think it's even Vespasian. He's like, there's no reason why he should have done this. Well, what happens after he leaves? All the Christians leave. <laughs> they all leave the city, and they go up to Petra. Um, and so they're, they're spared from the destruction of Jerusalem, just like Jesus told them to do. He, he, when he tells them to flee, he's not talking to Christians in the year right. 2050 um, to flee to the mountains. He's talking to the Jews that are in Jerusalem. When you see the abomination of desolation, Luke dumbs it down for the Gentiles in Luke 21. He says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, yeah. he, 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 uh, he replaces abomination of desolation with when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Obviously, that's his interpretation of the abomination of desolation. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, flee. Right. Um, and that's exactly what happened. But, and, the, and the Christians obeyed and got out. And they, they obeyed, yeah. yeah. And he even says, let the reader understand. <laughs> he's talking to he's talking to the... But the, the, not, the non-believing the Jews who didn't believe yeah, Jesus. Yeah, they all stayed. How, yeah. many, how many died? 1.5 million or something like that? Um, Josephus said, and there's, there's debate um, over whether this is hyperbole or not. He said that the roads were just lined with crosses. Right. He says there was over a million that were, that were crucified. And that's on top of what actually happened in the city. Right. Because like I said, it was it was hell on earth. Cannibalism. Cannibalism. Because um, they laid siege to them. Yeah. And uh, no food. They were, the, the zealots were assassinating leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another, that's a partial preterist interpretation of, of Roman, uh, Revelation chapter 9. Um, these locusts that have the face of a man, they have the, they have the hair of a woman. These, uh, these zealots would dress up like women and they'd, They'd, stab they'd people. stab people, yeah. Um, it's the origins of Assassin's Creed video game, actually. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what they would do. They'd have these They'd have these daggers hidden. I uh, can't remember what they were called. Um, but they would They would assassinate these people. Yep. Um, and, yeah, so it... So I, I, I think that a lot of the Olivet discourse has already happened. Um, but there is... And I think... I know there's different interpretations. There's even all millennialists that, that interpret the Olivet Discourse um, differently. When Jesus says this generation will not pass away before these things happen, um, it's it's hard to, with the way that he uses this generation elsewhere in the book of Matthew, uh, and he, sa- he says it at the end of Matthew 23. He says all these things are going to happen to this generation. Mm-hmm. Um, who's he talking about? He's talking about the people that are standing there listening to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that there's at least there's at least some stuff some. That, that Jesus is talking about that's in the mm-hmm. that's in our past. Um, but there's other things that are future, like the gospel of this kingdom will be preached to all the world. I think what he's doing. So the the disciples and and Calvin takes this position also. Jesus says, "You see all these these stones. Not one will be left on another." He goes out to the uh, Mount of Olives. His disciples come to him and they say, when will these things be and when will be um, the signs of your coming and the end of, of this age, I think is what right. they say. And, and he divides it into two. And he two. divides it. They're, they're asking one question because when, when they hear about the destruction of the temple, they're thinking, well, there, there was common belief that this temple is going to remain standing until the end of the world. Yeah. And so they're coming and saying, when's the end of the world going to be? When's, when's the destruction of the temple and when's the end of the world? And they're asking one question, and he divides it, um, and he says, "The destruction of the temple. The si- here's the signs for 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 when the temple is going to be destroyed, but of here's, that day, yeah, no one knows. Yeah, here's the here's the signs of 
of what will happen before the yeah. very end. And he and so he says you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars and there's going to be earthquakes and there's going to be famine and they're and they're they're even going to kill you. And I think that uh, and he says these are not the this is not the end. It's just the beginning of birth pains. I think he I think going back to my interpretation of of all of it discourse and revelation, I think he's talking about this is this is going to be the pattern of stuff that's going on until the end these oh. are not this is not the end it's just the birth pangs and then it's going to get real bad right at the very end um but you're not going to know the day or the hour when when okay. christ is going to come that's good yeah and so it's going to be like the days of noah people are going to be giving in marriage they're going to be just going about their daily life and uh then destruction is going to come upon them and um that one will be taken and one will be left i don't think that's the rapture I think it's judgment. The person mm. who's ta- because it's the the picture is of the flood. Right. It's like the days of Noah. Yes. One will be taken, one will be left. The one who's taken, you don't want to be the one who's taken in in that context. You can't you can't take that context and then put it on First Thessalonians chapter four and be like, oh, they're talking about the same thing, and we're gonna right take it in its in its in its context right there in Matthew chapter four. You don't want to be taken. You don't want to be taken. You want to be left, like Noah. Noah was not taken. He was left. The ones who were taken were taken in the flood. You don't want to be taken in the flood. In the end, will come upon you in this in this fashion. Yeah. So people are going to be going about their daily business, and then judgment is going to come, and some people are going to be taken in judgment, and you want to be left. You <laughs> you want to be you want to be one of the people that are still here <laughs> when when judgment is done. You want to still be left standing, and you can only that can only be true if you're trusting in Christ. Doesn't make that that dope of like a novel series, though. I will agree that no one is going to be writing, um, you know, uh, a twenty book series on it from the amillennial perspective because it's just going to be like, well, today Tim uh, Timothy went to work, and then the end came, <laughs> and then Jesus came back. The end. Uh, like it's not. It it really is not dramatic. It's not like it, you're not going to be making a movie about it. Right. <laughs> You could call the movie The Surprise. The Surprise, yeah, that's good. That's right. <laughs> I got two questions left for you here, George, because I think we've hit on most of the other ones, at least in some fashion. Okay, so one question people will have is they'll hear, um, and they probably just picked up on it, or they've heard about amillennialism, and they've heard that, okay, we're in the millennium, you believe Satan is bound, mm-hmm. thrown into this pit for a thousand years, mm. Um, and they would say, but, you know, I, I don't understand that. I don't see how that can be mm-hmm. given the current state of, you know, where we're at. Right. So how do you explain the binding of Satan during the millennial reign? Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I know that this is the, um, this is the, this is the problem verse, right? Like uh-huh. the problem verse for millennialism is <clears throat> the passage on the millennium. <laughs> Satan is bound for a thousand years. Um, Okay, so you you asked this, and we didn't really get around to it. My reading of Revelation, we we talked about like the main positions, uh-huh. but we didn't talk about how I actually interpret the Book of Revelation. Okay, except that I would take kind of an eclectic approach, um, and this this feeds into my interpretation of of Revelation chapter twenty. So um, I see Revelation chapter twenty as um, a series of um, repeated cycles. So when I read the book of Revelation, I don't read it in chronological order. Okay. And that's, that's a big deal because I don't think that chapter 19 and chapter 20 are 
chronologically after each other. And I think that that's, that's, that's going to make it or break it. I think. Yeah. So, um, so, so I, you're so saying I, hold, I hold to what the same called, story is being told yes. four times, seven times, seven, times. seven times. Okay. Yeah. Um, and this is, uh, it's called re- recapitulation. Uh-huh. Um, this is not uh, this is not a wild far fetched thing because we see it in other places in the Bible. Um, you can go all the way back to Genesis one and two. It recapitulates. Uh-huh. Um, there are people I, I've read liberals that that have used the the chronological reading of Genesis one and two as a reason to believe in like theistic evolution. Um, because look, there's there's creation and he creates man, and then in chapter two he creates man again. Um, it's not chronological. It's it's recapitulation. My Old Testament professor, he would, and he's probably going to have to come up with a new. Well, I think he's retired, so he, he's probably good. Uh, he uses the picture of a stereo. You use a stereo, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, you you hear one speaker, and you get part of the song, right? And out of the other speaker, you get the other another part. part. You put it together, and you get the whole the whole song, right? right. Um, that's what recapitulation does. Um, another, I think, another um, picture that he he used was like a diamond. Uh-huh. Like you can look at a diamond from different angles, and you can like the way that the light hits it will bring out different colors. That's um, that's what the Book of Revelation does. That's what Genesis one and two does. You're looking at the same event from two different angles. Here's creation in general. Here's creation specifically of, of Adam in the Garden of Eden, um, the creation of man in, in uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 26 through 28 is the same creation as what's found in, in chapter 2. It's just we're just viewing it from a different angle. Um, the book of, of Judges, the book of Judges is not occurring strictly chronologically because by the time you get to the end of the book, uh, Phineas is the high priest, and uh, Phineas was the high priest at the beginning of the book. Um, so it's not these, these different judges. They're not this one, and then this one came, and then this one came, and then this one came. There's a lot of overlap. Okay. Um, and it's arranged thematically, <clears throat> not, gotcha. not chronologically, thematically. So a, lot of, a lot of prophets, a lot of the prophets do the same thing. They'll, they will, um, they'll tell about judgment, and then they'll start talking about judgment of the same thing. You're like, why are they repeating themselves? But if you look, they're looking at it from different angles and they're using different language, but it's the same event. Um, they're just talking about it um, in repeated cycles. Mm. And so I think that's what's going on in the book of um, Revelation. So I have, seven, a, I have an interesting little... Uh, so you, do you have seven different visions or are they some visions just kind of they morph into the other... How does this go? Um, they uh, well, here I've got I've got a picture. Okay, this, uh, is a little creative picture I found. Uh, it's called the kaleidoscopic binoculars of Revelation. Um, progressive parallelism is another term for it. You can see down here with the uh, with the lenses, you can see the 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 uh, the seven cycles. Mm-hmm. Uh, chapters one through three, four through seven, eight through eleven, uh, then twelve through fourteen, fifteen through sixteen, seventeen through nineteen, and twenty through twenty two. They're telling the same story. They're just telling it in different angles, and it's it's repeating over and over and over again. And, and what really, um, even when I was a dispensationalist, I had a hard time understanding the book of Revelation in some places because you get to like the end of chapter 6, um, and it says, when he opened the sixth seal, 
He looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that was being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves, and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand and i always read that i'm like that sounds like the end of the world and as i studied more i'm convinced that it's the end of the world um and then it picks up again and it tells the story over again so the seals are telling the entirety of the church age and it ends with the second coming the seven trumpets they just start the they start the cycle over again uh Mm -hmm. eight through eleven and at the end of chapter eleven you know what happens? The end of the world. The end of the world again. Uh, it says that um, uh, the seventh trumpet, uh, the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, "The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever." Twenty-four elders they worship. They say, "We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came." And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and for those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. It sounds like the end of the world again. And I I think that that's what's going on. I think that there's just these repeated cycles, and they're telling the same story from different angles. And the first half of the book, 1 through 11, is telling um, kind of the story as people would experience it on earth. And then the rest of the book is more of here's what's going on in the background. So you've got you've got where, where do you have that break at? Uh, chapter twelve, where it starts talking about the dragon and okay. this war in heaven. So pull back the pull back the curtains. This is what's going on. It's actually the war between God mm. and the dragon. Um, and why are you why are you suffering? Like why are the saints going through tribulation? They're dying. Why why are the the martyrs under the uh, under the altar um, crying out for for vengeance? It's because the the dragon is uh, he's inspiring the beast to kill them. Um, so there, there's this, there's this re- repetition of the same story. And then when you get to chapter 19, it's the coming of Christ, but then chapter 20 is not chronologically um, after 19. It's telling the story again. So it, it starts t- over and it, star- it starts over again, and it's really... It's, it's, so the circle is getting tighter. Okay. So it, it's... it's, it's, uh, it's it's building towards something. Mm. And so when you get to chapter 20, you only have, what, 11 verses? Um, but it's telling the same story over again. It's just telling it really fast, and it's telling it from this uh, this different angle. So I think that um, there it's just repeating the same story of the church age that ends with um, the coming of Christ and, and judgment. Um, and chapter 19 does the same thing. And then chapter 20... It does the same thing again, and so you see the church is being persecuted by um, the world, and then Christ comes and judges them, and there's okay. there's final judgment. So uh, with that reading, the devil is bound at the beginning of the church age, and he's released at the end of the church age. So that so getting back to your question, yeah, what does that mean? Um, I think that I would have a really hard time with this if Jesus hadn't used the same language in the Gospels. Um, so Matthew chapter 12, he talks about no one can come and plunder the strong man unless he does 
he binds the strong man, right? He binds the strong man and then he can plunder him. Right. Um, who's the strong man? I think it's the devil. I think that's the point of the story is that Jesus comes. He casts out demons. The Pharisees are saying he casts out demons by the power of the devil. And uh, you've got the teaching on uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And he says that if the devil's casting out demons by Satan, like Satan's casting out Satan, then his kingdom is just going to crumble. Um, but if I'm casting out demons by the power of God, then you know that 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 uh, the finger of God is here. Um, and he he says that no one can bond, no one can plunder a, a man's house, the strong man's house, unless he binds him first. So I think that's what's going on. How can he? Why why is he doing this? How is he casting out demons? How is he doing all these miracles? It's because he's binding the strong man. Um, same language is used in John chapter twelve. Um, he's getting ready to go to the cross. Um, and uh, he says that, uh, let me read it uh, exactly so I, I don't butcher it. Um, John chapter 12, um, he says that, um, where is it? There now it is. is the ruler yeah, of this world. Uh, cast uh, yeah, out. he says, uh, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Um, and then uh, we've got Revelation chapter 12, which is, I think, telling the same, the same story here. Christ comes. Um, he is, uh, the dragon tries to kill him. He's caught up to God. And uh, then the dragon, uh, there's a war in heaven and the dragon is cast out. Um, and he can't, um, he can't do his primary work um, because he's been cast out of heaven. And then 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I think is parallel to it that uh, when he's talking about um, the man of lawlessness who will be revealed and you know what's restraining him, it's restraining him right now until he's taken out of the way. Um, I, I think that it's, uh, I think it's the same thing. Uh, the, uh, you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Um, so I think what's keeping the lawless one from coming right now is Satan is bound. But when Satan is unbound, the man of lawlessness will come. He'll be revealed. Okay. So... Now, the question is, so what you, does that mean? What does it mean that Satan is bound? Yeah, that's what I was going to... Yeah. Um, and this is, uh, I, I think this is where, uh, this is the difficulty of the position, because it depends on what you think that means. Um, I don't think it means that the devil is inactive. Um, I think we have to read it in, uh, this, this again, it, it goes back to how we read our whole Bible, if we read it in this redemptive historical um, progre pro progressive way, um, in the Old Testament we see that um, the the gospel only goes to the Jews, and it goes to maybe a handful of Gentiles. You've got Rahab, Ruth, um, Naaman, uh, the leper. You've, you've got uh, the Ninevites uh, when Jonah preaches to them. So you've got you've got little little places where the Gentiles hear it, but for the most part, it's confined to Israel. Now, with the coming of Christ, um, 
the devil is bound from deceiving the nations and the gospel goes out to all the nations. That, that's, the, that's what Jesus says in John chapter 12. But now the ruler of this world is cast out and I, when I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw all people to myself. It's not just going to be a people of God that consists of, of Jews. It's going to consist of people from every, every nation. Um, and Satan is bound from preventing that. Like he's, he's, he's still active. Uh, he still, you know, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour, but he can't prevent the gospel from spreading. The gospel is just going to keep going. But when he's released, when, when he's able to, and the, the man of lawlessness one is revealed, then the nations are going to be deceived again. And there's going to be like a, a coalition against the church. And they're going to surround the church, and the church is going to look like it's. I mean, the 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 description is of the unbelieving world, like the sand of the sea, mm. and the church is like a camp. Um, I I, th I think that's what what it means. Okay, good. Thank you for that. All right, last question. We're pretty much out of time, so we're going to wrap this up. What do you think is the sanctifying strength of your position? How does this? How how does this? I know you believe it is the position, but what do you think? Uh, what benefit is this to you spiritually? Um, I think it shows that um, the Book of Revelation is for us. It's not. It's not for tribulation saints. Like it's not for people in the future. It's for us. It's meant for our encouragement. It's meant for. It's the Book of Revelation is one big warning passage, right? Like here's what's happening. This is um, this is not just something that's going to happen sometime in your future. So you need to be um, doomsday prepping or you know whatever. Today the beast may demand worship. What are you going to do? Are you going to worship him? If you do, here's what here's what happens. Yeah. Right? If you don't, then you'll you'll reign with Christ. Yeah. Um, no matter what happens to you, here's your future, and it's glorious. Um, and this is a, a promise that's held out for all saints of all times until Christ comes. And so no matter what it looks like here now, no matter how dark it gets or the opposition, um, we, we've, got, we've got this hope. Yeah, yeah, right? that's right. Um, that's and so I, I think that that's probably the, the, primary, the primary thing. There's, there's little things that might change how we live, maybe, um, from like a purely futuristic viewpoint. But I think that's the big one is looking at the whole book of revelation together and saying, um, not, not, uh, what can I figure out what, you know, this is right. But, um, what's the overall message? Because even at the end of the day, um, all of these views are still going to be here. Like we're not going to solve the eschatological debate. Right. here on this podcast. Yeah. Um, but even though we're going to, we're going to disagree on the, on the, the details, the overarching message of the book of revelation is crystal clear. Mm -hmm. Like you can't miss it. And I, I love, I love that. I don't know why God allows his church to have different um, interpretations. I mean, we come, we have the same commitment to the Bible. We want to take it seriously. We want to get at what does it actually mean? Um, and yet we come to different positions. I don't know why God allows that. I don't know why God allows people to to read Romans chapter nine and come away with different 
different opinions on what it means. But the overarching message of the Bible is is crystal clear. And that's that's really the beauty of the scriptures is we we can we need to look at the details and we need to we need to think through them and try to come to a, an accurate interpretation, but don't lose the don't lose the overarching message just because you're so hung up on well, I think there's a secret rapture, and if you don't think there's a secret rapture, you may not actually be a Christian. Right. Like, yeah. Well, the, the, the main message is that Christ is going to come and he's going to glorify his saints. Mm-hmm. Um, we can all agree on that, right? That's the, that's the hope. Right. <laughs> that's the yeah. hope. Um, so hopefully our conversations will continue to do that. Okay, good. Thank you. All right, thanks for tuning in today. Second uh, episode where we di- where we are diving into eschatology. Next time, we'll do uh, my position, which is historic premillennialism. Uh, it is not to be confused with dispensationalism at all. Um, it, it falls under the realm of uh, covenant theology, really. Uh, and then after that, we're going to have our friend Corey come out for post-mill. So you're going to get them all. So hopefully this has been beneficial and educational for you, but our hope and our desire is as always, to help you to be more conformed to Christ. So that is the goal, that you would be a better Christian after listening to this podcast. So if this is useful and helpful to you or entertaining, please give us a like, a subscribe, a share. You can write us a review. I always tell people to go ahead and do those things, and they never do them, George. But hopefully you can do that, and we'll see you next time. We'll be back uh, next week. Hope you'll join us. See you then. Bye-bye.